Bibles this morning to the book of Joshua in chapter 2. So please would you turn with me in your copy of the scriptures there. Joshua and chapter 2. Okay, Joshua chapter 2, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shithim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because, you, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the, women, the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. And that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. Because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them. And that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. The men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes out 
outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Praise God. Please keep your Bibles open. If you ever go to the land of Israel, I hope you get the chance to go to see the ruins of the city of Jericho. It's down in what's now uh, under uh, the Palestinian Uh, I call it the Palestinian occupied territories, (laughs) but it's down in the area which is run by the Palestinians now today. Uh, But in uh, 2006, I had a chance of going there, and it's an amazing thing to see the city of Jericho, which is recorded here in the book of Joshua. The first city which Joshua and the armies of the Lord had to conquer when they came into into the land of Canaan, the gateway city. And uh, it's a remarkable thing because archaeologists have found some amazing things here that coincide with the teaching of the Bible. And you remember how Joshua and his men marched around the city and the walls came down and they went in and uh, everyone was judged but Rahab who was saved. Well, one of the things they found is uh, they found that the, the city did have walls, multiple walls, like the Bible says. Uh, it had two walls around it. And this is a, a picture of what it would have looked like back in that day. I'm just going to dim this light again so you can see a bit better. And uh, it, it, it had an inner wall and an outer wall. The inner wall would have been where the richer people lived because they would have had more protection. And the outer area would have been where the poorer people lived. It would have been the rougher part of town. Uh, but these two walls were built on top of what's called a, a, a retaining wall, this part here, which was like a, a steep bank, which was to stop anybody bringing ladders up against it uh, or being able to climb up uh, or out. And it, was, uh, it had this gap in between. Now, the fascinating thing is, when they found the ruins of Jericho, they found that the walls, these two walls, had both fallen but they had fallen in different directions. The inner wall up at the top there, the upper wall, that fell inward, and the outer wall fell outward. In my mind, what I see is an angel standing there doing that, <laughs> like Samson pushing over the pillars uh, in, uh, in the story in the book of Judges, and, and angels pushing over those walls. That's what it looks like to me. But what they also found was this, that the outer wall, the ruin, the bricks that fell from the outer wall, fell down around this retaining wall, and where it was once impossible to climb, it now made All the rubble now made a ladder by which the children of Israel could have gone up into the land, which is exactly what the Bible said uh, what they were to do. 
Another fascinating, and by the way, you can still see the remains there of that uh, retaining wall when you go there. Another fascinating, that's oh, another thing I'll tell you about. That is the one house that is still standing. So whose house do you think that was? <laughs> Jericho, uh, Rahab's house, uh, according to this story. But one of the fascinating things they found, if you can see in the middle of that picture there, was they found jars, jars full of grain. And lots and lots of these jars full of grain. It was one of the amazing archaeology, archaeological finds. Now, this is fascinating because it shows a number of things. Number one, they had just had harvest. So it was about the time of the Passover, which is exactly when this story happens in the Bible. Number two, they were storing up in case of a siege, which matches the story of the Bible. But here's the fascinating thing. All those jars of grain were left behind. Now, that was very unusual because normally when you conquered a city, you took the things that were precious and valuable and usable, and food definitely was at that time, but they left it all. And doesn't that match exactly what the Bible says? They were told, don't touch anything. Of course, Achan did, but uh, everybody else left the stuff, and they were told, don't touch the stuff inside the city. It's amazing the archaeology that goes along Uh, with the story in the Bible, showing the consistency and accuracy of the biblical text. Now, you may not know about that, because there's actually still a war going on over Jericho to this day. It's an archaeological war. Back in the uh, 1920s, a man by the name of John Garstang was an archaeologist who went there. And following some Germans who'd done some small excavation work there, he went there and did more more, uh, detailed work. And he was the man who discovered the walls and so many of the things. And he independently got it checked out with a a Roman Catholic archaeologist and with a a man who was another person who was a... um, an expert in pottery, and pottery is one of the ways in which you uh, date things. And they found pottery from here that was also at Megiddo, which was uh, dated to this time. They know it by the type of red paint on the pottery. And uh, he confirmed by his work that this was the, the Jericho of the Bible. However, in 1950, a lady by the name of Kathleen Kenyon was sent out uh, to see the remains. And she said, oh, no, 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 that's nothing to do with Jericho and the Bible. And, and she rubbished the whole thing. Now, I've, I bought a new book recently. I was given, a, I should say, a new book recently for my, for my birthday. And in there, the guy said, Kathleen Kenyon... She was a really good archaeologist. She, she wasn't a, a, an idiot. She was a good, good person on the whole. But she said she either missed it or she dismissed it. Uh, and that's the verdict. And sadly, her views have prevailed today, which is why even in most study Bibles today, you will hear and read, it says there's not much archaeological evidence for this. There's tons of it. It's only recently been reconfirmed again by Italian archaeologists and by this man, Dr. Bryant Wood, who's an archaeologist still working in the land today, that these things are what John Garstang said was right and what Kathleen Kenyon said was wrong. There's a battle still raging for Jericho to this day. You say, well, John, why is there such a battle for Jericho? I'll tell you why I believe there's a battle for Jericho. is because Jericho is a spiritual picture. And it's a picture of the gospel that the devil doesn't like. It's a picture which conveys the greatest testimonies of salvation in the Bible. You know, there's two people who are famous for being converted at Jericho. Do you know who they are? Rahab 
and Zacchaeus, a tax collector and a prostitute. The two types of people who came to Jesus. The two types of people who were said to be beyond reach to most other people. But these were the people. It's interesting. Rahab was the first convert into the land for Joshua. And Zacchaeus was the last convert for the Lord before he went to the cross. Both of them received the Lord's people into their houses, didn't they? They, She received the spies and Zacchaeus uh, received the Lord into his house. And both of them showed their faith by their works as well. They're beautiful pictures of salvation. And they're very powerful because, as I said, they're sinners who we may not say, we would not naturally say these people are natural people to come to the Lord. They look like they're beyond reach as far as man's concerned. But God shows his saving power at Jericho in bringing men and women like Zacchaeus and Rahab to know him. And I want us to have a look at Rahab this morning. And I'm going to call her not Rahab the prostitute, as she's known in the Bible, but Rahab the redeemed, because that's what she was. It's a beautiful picture of the Lord's saving work. And I want us to see that and apply that to our hearts here today. And in the story, we see four things about her. We see the preachers she entertained, the profession she exhibited, the protection she enjoyed, and the privilege that she entered into. We'll work our way through the passage with these things. First of all, the preachers that she entertained. Now, if we read in verse 1, it says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shithim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, Joshua was the leader of the Lord's people and he sent two spies into the land. Uh, Actually, what you have here in this chapter is you have a symmetry. I want to point this out and get this over and done with. But I I love chiasms in the Bible. And you'll see in this passage there is a symmetry. It begins with Joshua sending out the spies and it ends with with him receiving back the spies. And the passage uh, is structured like that with the red cord and the escape in the middle. If anyone wants to get that from me later, uh, I'll put that back up on the screen for you. Uh, But what we see is Joshua sent in these spies. Now, why was he doing this? Well, you remember when Moses came to the land, uh, he sent in spies as well. He sent in 12 spies and only two of them brought back a good report. The other 10 brought back a bad report and made the people tremble with fear and made them go back. It was a bad day for Israel. Actually, Joshua was one of those two spies who brought the good report back, Joshua and Caleb. And so he sent two spies in from the other side of the River Jordan to go in and to investigate the land. And he said, go in and do it secretly. He wanted it not to be made known because not only he wanted their mission to be a success, keeping it secret, but he also didn't want them to come back with bad news and scare the others like the mistake had been made before. So he sent them secretly to go and look over the land and especially Jericho. And this, 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 this work was to, to, to go into the land uh, and investigate. And, and they were looking really for a number of things. Uh, They were looking partly at the military things, um, but they already had that from when Jericho, uh, when Joshua went in with the spies. But more so, they were looking for the morale of the people. And that's one of the things they come back with a report at at the end. But I've called them the preachers. Why have I called them that? 
Well, the fact is that when we interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, we see that these men didn't just go in as spies, they went in as messengers. In fact, James chapter 2, verse 26, calls them messengers. Not James 2.26, uh, James 2.25, sorry, calls them messengers. In fact, Joshua 6.17 calls them messengers as well. So they went in with a message to anyone who would listen. God is going to judge this land, but you can be saved if you turn to him and trust in him. And you know what? It's amazing how God guided them on their mission. They went in and they went to the house of Rahab inside that huge city of Jericho. Now, they could have gone anywhere, but the Spirit of God led them to somebody whose heart he had already been working in. Somebody who already was thinking about the God they served, as we read later on, and uh, what had been happening there. And I, I find so much encouragement in this. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 37, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And these men, their steps were definitely ordered by the Lord. They were led to the one person who would have given them a warm welcome in that city. That one person whose heart God was working in. What an encouragement to us to see the sovereign hand of God when he sends out his messengers. You know, there's a, a story about D.L. Moody, the, the famous American evangelist. And one night, D.L. Moody uh, was walking through the town and he saw a man leaning up against uh, a, a lamppost. And Moody, being the brave soul he was, went up to him and he said what he said to most people he witnessed to. started off, are you a Christian? That was his opening line. Are you a Christian? And he, he went to start witnessing to this man. The man got really angry. He didn't like it. So Moody went on home. But you know what? Later on, that man came and told Moody he'd been converted. And Moody had made him so angry, he'd lost his peace. And he knew he needed to be saved. Now, was that a coincidence that Moody met that man? Not at all. God was working in that man to bring him to salvation. And God led Moody to the very person that he wanted to bring him to. I remember some years ago reading a book about a Pentecostal preacher. And one time he asked his friend, take me up to Ilkley Moor in uh, Yorkshire. He said, why do you want to go up there? It's just, just a moor. There's nothing up there. He said, I know I need to go there. So they went up to Ilkley Moor and he got out of the car and he sat down on a rock and just sat there waiting. And they, they, his friends looked at each other and said, he's really flipped this time. And then a backpacker came over the hill. And the man sat down next to him on the stone. And the two had a conversation. He was a backslidden man. And he was able to restore him, lead him back to the Lord. You see how God sovereignly works? How he brings people together so that those who need to hear the word can hear it from those who've got it to give. And I find incredible encouragement about this, and I hope you do today. You know, dear friends, we're not here this morning by an accident. We're here together by an appointment. Do you know that? You're here by an appointment today, an appointment of God, that you be here to listen to the message of salvation that the Lord Jesus has for you. He wants you to know you can be saved, like Rahab got saved, like Zacchaeus got saved. That if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins, you won't have to pay for your sins in hell, but you'll go to heaven instead. 
The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you want eternal life? Put your trust in Christ today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. God brought me here and brought you here so that I could tell you that today. This is his message to you. And I trust you'll receive it and act on it like Rahab did. The second amazing thing we see in this story is the profession she exhibited. And... uh, this is where we come in at verse 2, and the story takes off. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Now, when I say the profession she exhibited, I don't mean her profession as a prostitute. What I mean is the profession of her faith. And uh, when a person becomes a believer, they make a profession of faith and they show it by their lives and the way they live their lives. Martin Luther used to put it like this. He said, we are saved by faith alone, but we're not saved by a faith that is alone. Our lives must show the faith that we have, that we've, put our, that we've put our trust in the Lord. And it shows it in works. And this is where James's commentary on this passage of scripture uh, is so helpful. In James chapter 2, verse 25, James says this, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave the lodging to the spies and sent them off? In a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without deeds is dead. And James 2.25 points to the fact that Rahab's faith was a real faith. Because it showed it in the way she lived her life. She helped these people. It's a story, it's a, a, a fascinating one. It's a, it reminds me of, of a, another episode in history. Do you remember when Thomas Jefferson, back in 1803, sent out the Corps of Discovery? Maybe you learned about this at school when they uh, were settling in the land of America and they were trying to work out all the things that they had, what was, what was in the land, you know. And at that time, you didn't have uh, satellites and you didn't have planes flying over. So it was done by the old-fashioned way of sending people out to investigate. So he sent out two men, Lewis and Clark, and they went on their way and they were helped greatly by a French trapper and his Indian wife, whose name was Sakajua. Now, Sakajua helped show them a lot of places around the land. And she had a brother who had become the head of an Indian tribe, and she took, him, took them to him, who gave them maps and helped them, and their, their mission was a success because she helped them. Now, you think about that. You know, these are the people who are going to take over the land from the, Ameri- from the native Indians, and she helped them. That's a parallel with what Rahab did with these spies. And their mission was helped greatly by this. She hid them when the people came to uh, investigate, when, when the people came looking to see if the spies had come into her house. And she sent them a different way, uh, a different direction. 
It's interesting, in the Bible, it's always the ladies who are hiding things. Have you noticed that? In the book of Genesis, Rachel is hiding the idols from her father Laban. In the book of Exodus, uh, Moses' mother is hiding Moses from uh, Pharaoh. In the book of uh, Kings, it is Elijah who is hidden at the house of the widow of Zarephath. In the book of Esther, Esther is hiding her identity. Uh, I tell you, in the Bible, you see the ladies are the ones who are hiding things. Men, you've got to watch out, okay? <laughs> but it, she hid these, these spies and kept them safe. It's a, really an echo of, of uh, what was going to happen, or a foreshadow of what was going to happen during the war when people would hide the Jewish people from the Nazis. Uh, I've included this story because we've got some friends in the church who have come here from Golders Green. And I read this in a copy of the Jerusalem Post about a man by the name of Foley, Frank Foley, who was a British spy. And he worked at a passport office and he helped escape, I think it was 669 Jewish people. In fact, he was so brave, he hid them in his own house so that the Nazis couldn't find them. And his most daring deed was actually going into a concentration camp in Poland and taking out some Jewish people. Thinking that. What an amazing thing he did. And at Golders Green, at the cemetery there, there is a a tribute to him on the wall. Well, this is what she did. She hid the spies at the risk of her life. And in doing so, She exhibited her true faith in the Lord. You see, 40 years before this story happened, as a little girl, Rahab heard some stories about these people who had come up out of Egypt and how they had come up through the Red Sea and how they defeated the fearsome and terrible giants who were up in the northern part of the land of Transjordan, up in Bashan, a place called Og, king of Bashan, a man called Og, king of Bashan, and his counterpart, Sion. Everyone lived in fear of them. They were giants, literal giants. But these people had defeated them. And so she came to believe that their God was the true God. And this is what she says in verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And uh, she went down in verse 11 and said, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She recounted all that she had heard in the past, uh, 40 years earlier, about their mighty deeds that God had done. Now, you think about that. That's an encouragement, isn't it, to us today? You know, maybe 40 years from now, somebody who you've witnessed to will come to saving faith. That's a thing to think about, isn't it? The seed has been sown. And here she demonstrated her faith. She said, I know that the Lord is the true God. And she said, I want you to, to count me among his people. She, she believed in him as well. I want to ask you today, is your faith a real faith? Does it show in the way you live? God wants us to have not just a no-so salvation, but a show-so salvation. Showing in the way we live our lives. Faith without works is dead, says the Bible. Let's make sure that we don't have that type of faith, but let's have a Rahab type of faith, a profession that shows itself outwardly. And then thirdly, we see the protection she enjoyed, because in verse 12, she said this, now then, 
Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Rahab wanted to be saved from the judgment that was coming on to Jericho. And so she starts off with two words in her sentence here in verse 12. Now then. You might think to yourself, well, that's a fantastic point, preacher. Now then, what a great deal that is to notice in the text. Well, actually it is. Because do you know what? In the book of Jericho, when you get the words now then come up, what you come afterwards is a series of covenants or promises. It happened back in chapter 1, just before this. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 2, right at the beginning, God spoke to Moses. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the land, across the river Jordan into the land I give you. And God gave a, uh, Joshua promises. Well, that's what she's seeking here. She's seeking uh, protection. Uh, she she tr- believes in the Lord. She wants protection. And uh, she, she really wanted to, to know, uh, so she asked for a token and she gave terms. The token of salvation was to be the red cord. She let them down by a rope through the window and uh, for the house she lived on was part of the wall. And that's a, an advanced statement because at this stage, uh, that hasn't happened until uh, we get to uh, verse 22. But uh, it, it, she asked to be let down out the wall. And so she wanted uh, a, a token. And so they said to her, put this token in the window. And this will be a sign that you are going to be okay. Now, what was the big deal with the red rope? Well, the red rope... Remember, it was Passover. This is what we read in chapter 5. The the children of Israel had just been circumcised. It had been Passover. And what happened at Passover? When the judgment of God fell on Egypt, it was those who had the blood on the door that were kept safe. Well, she couldn't offer a sacrifice, but what she could do was tie this up in her window, this red cord, and it would be symbolic of the blood. And do you know what? That's That's God's way of salvation. Come under the blood. Come under the blood. Don't be under the water only. Lots of people get baptised. And that's a good thing to be baptised. But being under the water won't wash away your sin. It's being under the blood of Jesus. Shed on the cross. That will wash away your sin. And that's what they said for her to do. Put the rope in the window. And it will be a token of your security. By the way, there was another lady in the Bible who had a red rope. Do you remember her name? Tamar, back in Genesis chapter 38. And uh, she tied that around the wrist of a little baby that was born. Do you remember that when the baby was born? And that baby was of the line of Judah. We're going to come back to that. But both those ladies were Gentiles. Both were caught in immorality. Both had a red cord. Both were tokens of saving grace. What a wonderful parallel in scripture. And both hid two men, by the way, because she hid her twins in her tummy, Tamar did. But uh, 
the uh, the red rope was hidden uh, was put up in the window and she was under that but the terms of her salvation were very clear when they 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 answered her in verse 17 the men said to her this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we have entered the land when we enter the land you've tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you've let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother and your brothers and all your family into your house if anyone goes outside the house into the street his blood will be on his own head he will we will not be responsible as for anyone who is in the house with you his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him but if you tell what we're doing we will be released from the oath you've made us swear so that was the terms that they laid out you've got to be in the house under the blood or you won't be saved and she got her family all in under under the rope uh, the blood red rope to be saved do you know what that's the terms of salvation for you and me too it's only if you are under the blood of christ you'll be saved it's not if someone in your family is saved oh well uh, that's all right i belong to I'm, I'm, i'm rahab's brother don't kill me that would never have worked they had to be under the blood as well and you and i need to make sure that's where we are that's the only safe place for all of us and if you're not yet as i said in christ then you need to come and enjoy that protection and as i say fascinatingly when they did come in and conquer the land they preserved her house or god preserved her house and uh, when they took her out they brought her into the people of god in the land of israel as it became and uh, she actually ended up being incorporated like it says in the book of romans the gentiles would be grafted in and she was grafted in but then we see finally the privilege that she enjoyed because the story of rahab doesn't end here with her sending the spies back and and escaping with that it goes on right into the new testament if you just turn into the book of matthew a minute matthew chapter one we see a fascinating thing in the family tree of the lord jesus christ In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew begins his gospel with the family tree of the Lord Jesus, all the way back to Abraham through David, showing that Jesus is a real Jew, that he has the right to the throne of David. He is the Messiah. But when he traces the family line beginning at Abraham all the way through, in verse 5, we read Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Isn't that a beautiful thing? This lady went from the house of shame to the hall of fame. She had her place in the family line of the Lord Jesus Christ. By marriage into the people of Israel, she married Salmon. And tradition says Salmon was one of the spies, the spy who loved me. (laughs) And uh, she married him and found her place in the family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture of grace that is. Someone who we would say was so far outside. Why would God ever want a person like that? Jesus said, I want her in my family tree. 
He draws these people to himself. It's beautiful to see the relationship with Boaz and Ruth as well, because Ruth was a Gentile uh, brought in, and uh, Ruth had a mother-in-law. That meant uh, two mother-in-laws, actually, uh, but she had a second mother-in-law who had been where she was, an outsider brought in, and that would have been a blessing to her as well. So what a privilege that is, and that privilege can be for you and me too, to be grafted into the family of God, Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said this, that when you become a Christian, you become next of kin to the Holy Trinity. That's a staggering thought, isn't it? A child of God. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, says the book of Galatians. Amazing. Here's one fascinating thing to close with. The name Rahab, if you read it backwards in Hebrew, it's the word Baha. The word Baha is the Hebrew word to choose and you know what that's what happened with Rahab she made a choice she said I'm not going to be with these people who are going to be judged and damned these people here in the Jericho I'm going to be with the people of God I'm going to follow their God and put my trust in him I wonder if you will make that choice today as well and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ I pray so the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved like Rahab the redeemed. Praise God. Let's sing our